Before we start this week's episode of Listen In Podcast, I just wanted to give a big shout to friends of the pod who have been mixing it up with us on Twitter. It's much appreciated. We love the debate, the discussion, whether it's about music, history, pop culture, whatever we're talking about, Game of Thrones as of late. Um, Whatever it is, we love talking with you on Twitter. We've seen some new followers on there recently, which is really, really exciting for us. And, And to new followers and old alike, if you have friends who you think would like the show, or who would just like talking music with people on Twitter, let them know about the Listening Pod on Twitter, on SoundCloud, on iTunes. Let them know where we're at. It really helps grow the show, and we would greatly, greatly appreciate your support. With that, let's start the show. Welcome to another episode of the Listening Podcast with Sean and Jake. Uh, this is episode 82, moving quite fast. Yeah, quickly. We're ascending up towards 100. Um, I think we figured out what is it going to be, like around Thanksgiving when we get so. to 100? I think so, It's another yeah. 18 weeks. So, yes. Which is, it seems quick. It's really not. That's like most of the it's year. It's going to be here before you know it. Yeah, it will. But So will our deaths. Very true. Yeah. And on that note... Let's get into our weekly segment of matching up the episode number with a year in music. Yeah, so in 1982, this is episode 82. In 1982, um, we had some some pretty big releases. We had Thriller by Michael Jackson. Ooh, That's yes. probably the biggest commercially. Combat Rock by The Clash. Um, we had um, Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen. Mm. Paul McCartney's Tug of War. Um, Dexie's Midnight Runners with Two Rye, which I think is the one with Come On Eileen on it. Come on, Eileen. Oh, I swear. Um, Let me see if there's any more of interest. Honestly, Van Halen came out with Diver Down. Uh, Duran Duran came out with Rio. I'll say this. We're getting very, very 80s at this point. Yeah. Real fast. And and when we look at the history in that year, too, this is kind of an off- year an off-brand year not a For ton history. of stuff so actually probably a good year to live in yeah honestly yeah so epcot opened tylenol ended up having this scare where people thought it would like kill you turns out that it was like cyanide capsules that like seven people had eaten or something you're not kidding um the oh time named the computer man of the year <laughs> Wow. So not, Wasn't wrong. not a whole lot happened here. That sounds like an overlooked year in terms of like most peaceful year of all well, time. Well, Cold War was still going on, though. But still, that's not uh, yeah. real fighting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there was somewhere, but I, there was a genocide going on yeah, somewhere. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, real, real quick, I watched a video. Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking to Larry King, saying that like odds are we're living in a simulation. And I understand what he means because it's like if you look at the computing power we have and our ability to create worlds within our computers and then theoretically people in those worlds could then create their own worlds and so on and so forth. He's like, if you were to like throw a dart and what like what would you be most likely to hit? It'd be a simulated world. So he's like, odds are like we're in a simulation. Very interesting. just because it's like odds are doesn't mean we are. You know yeah, what I mean? I think there's a certain level with that kind of stuff where those dudes who are geniuses and think up all these theories kind of can't get out of their own head with some of that. Right. Because they're so in that world of right. science and you know looking at it in terms of odds and in terms of what the possibilities are. 
And like, yeah, statistically, we could be in a simulation, right. and none of this could be real. Right. You know, it could just all be a but fake. It, and, and the way they ended up really was Larry King was like, "So what do we do? Like, what does it even matter if we don't know?" I love Larry King, by the way. And Neil deGrasse was like, "No, it doesn't really matter." Yeah. So you, you may as well not worry about yeah, it. Yeah, don't worry about it. But it can freak you out if you think too hard about it. It sure, uh, sure can. Um, so Sean, we start today's episode actually with some sad news. Yes. News broke today. Um, that Linkin Park's Chester Bennington, lead singer, frontman of the band, um, committed suicide and is no longer with us. Um, so Linkin Park is a band that was a big deal for a lot of people around our age. We're in our early 20s, so when they were releasing Meteora and Hybrid Theory and those albums that got really big, uh, we were right at the age where our peers and maybe even we were affected by those albums. Thoughts on this? Really, really sad. Um you know, those first two albums were huge when they came out. I don't think you could go anywhere without hearing Numb or um, what was the one on the next one? In the End. In the End. That like, was on the first one. Okay. Yeah. So swap it. Those two songs were huge, huge singles. I enjoyed them. I think everyone else did. It's interesting because I've already talked to kind of a lot of people about this, like at work or whatever, and I've seen some reactions online. Everyone always seems to say, I don't listen to them anymore, but, or I don't really like their music, but this This, is really sad. This is something I wanted to talk about. I saw a few posts where the beginning of them was basically, I didn't really like Linkin Park, but, or regardless of what you think of Linkin Park, this is sad. And I kind of wonder why we feel we have to preempt it with that at all. Because this, it's, I can see it if it was like, some politician or ideologue who is like radically one way or another on the political spectrum or like maybe did some questionable things. When it's a musician who really never did anything wrong and just made music maybe you didn't like, I it kind of feels a little tone deaf to approach it in that way. To say like, oh, I'm not a Linkin Park fan. It feels defensive of yourself. Uh, yeah, I don't know why you need to posture and be like, oh, I'm above this music, but I can still recognize that like this is sad. Like, no, just be like, this is sad no matter what. He's just a fucking human. Yeah, you know? and he's someone who, again, like, regardless of whether you like it or not, he was he had a great, great voice and wrote a ton of really, really good songs, and mm-hmm. you know, sold a lot of records and influenced a lot of people's musical tastes. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me personally, I actually... Linkin Park was a big deal for me when I was a yeah. kid. When I was in um, sixth grade or in middle school, I I got pretty into Hybrid Theory. I got pretty into Meteora. I still really like those songs. I was listening back to them today, and they, I, they did some really interesting stuff. Yeah, and I think already you're seeing with the social media reactions how many people also feel the same way as you do. They're hugely popular. Enjoyed Linkin Park as well. And they yeah, they are hugely popular and they have a very wide reach. So I think this is a music death that in some ways we see have it more of an impact than maybe like Leonard Cohen last year when yeah. he died. Like some people don't even know who that is. Almost everyone knows Linkin Park. Well it's interesting because I on Facebook I was surprised by how many responses there were and I realized it's because my peers are the age they are. Yep. This is one of the first ones where it's been a death where it's someone who everyone pretty much knew about mm-hmm. and they were really, really famous when we were right at that age. Mm-hmm. Even Chris Cornell, even though Soundgarden is a probably a more influential band and Chris Cornell might be a little more famous by name than Chester Bennington was, I really think Linkin Park is more famous. In our generation. 100%. By kind of a lot. 100%. And it actually seemed to have a lot of waves, you know, in 
sort of my our peer group. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and you bring up Chris Cornell, and that's interesting because there seems to be a connection with the the Chester Bennington suicide and the Chris Cornell suicide. So I guess they were pretty good friends. They were pretty close. Yeah, and I guess Chester sang a version of Hallelujah or something at Chris Cornell's funeral. Oh, wow. He wrote some sort of open letter about... I think he was pretty affected, and I think they probably got close. I assume through the 2000s, like, when he was in Audio Slave, and they ran in similar circles right, and stuff. Right, And also, I don't know if this is a coincidence or not. I don't really want to speculate, but today was Chris Cornell's birthday. Yeah. He would have been 53. I don't know if that held some kind of significance playing into this decision or what, but who could say, man? I mean, it's it it is odd. It would seem like a weird choice to like plan it that way. But mm-hmm. again, I mean, if you're in the mental state where you're considering and then actually committing suicide, who knows what is going through your head? Honestly, the biggest thing that I'm taking away from this is um, just about how talented this guy actually was because he had. Actually, an amazing voice, like a, a singing voice, and he like he would do the screaming stuff on the early albums. But if you, you hear the way that dude sang, he had a really incredible range. And there are some songs like one I think of is uh, "Waiting for the End." It wasn't on either of those first two albums, which is like which were really big. It's on that album. I think it's called "A Thousand Sons" or something like that. Did that album have "What I've Done" on that's it? That's the previous one. Okay. That's "Minutes that, to Midnight." That's a good vocal performance too. It is and. Seriously, listeners, if you are inclined at all, and Sean, you should check this out too if you haven't heard it. At the end of Waiting for the End, he sings um, this line, holding on to what I haven't got, and he sings it three times. The second time, it's so it's like this high harmony of what he was singing the first mm. time. It's incredible. He sings it full voice, and it's it's like really, really high. Wow, I'll have and to check that it's out. It's really clear, and I always thought he was someone where vocally he brought real beauty to the table in a band that was you know pretty like a lot of distorted guitars yeah. really they were like a new metal band right and one of the things that distinguished them is the melodies that he came up mm-hmm. with and the way he brought that sort of element into into lincoln park yeah i think it's part of what made him so popular uh, yeah and the other interesting thing is this has been so wide reaching someone like rihanna actually commented on this didn't she say this is he was the best live performer she ever saw i'm looking at the tweet now she uh, or no tweet rather an Instagram post I think and she put up a picture of him singing with a bunch of sad face emojis or tear emojis and she said literally the most impressive talent I've ever seen live vocal beast hashtag R.I.P. Chester hashtag wow. Linkin Park I mean that that's like not small praise no from no, Rihanna that's a big who's deal an incredible singer obviously yeah yeah um, and you know that's what she's famous for he's not necessarily famous just as a singer he's famous because of Linkin Park and like for her to sort of respect game in that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you wouldn't expect Rihanna necessarily to go see Linkin Park and be, like, blown away. Right, right. Although it does feel like they made some inroads with the hip-hop community. And I think, yeah, I mean, they did that Jay-Z collaboration. You know, Numb Encore is still, I still love that song. I still listen to that. And they have Mike Shinoda in the band who who raps as part of the band. Right, right. Yeah, anyways, I mean, like, for me... It's sad news, and it's one of those things where you just kind of expect it. Like, a big friend of the pod, Kevin, texted me, and he just goes, did you hear about Chester Bennington? And I knew before he said it. I just knew it, and I was, like, going to Google it, but I was like, why do it? And so he said, no, dot, 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 what? Yeah. Like, what happened? I knew what it was, and he he told me. I was like, of course. Like, it just, you know, I don't know. I think there's a tendency to think 
as you go through more of life, like, oh, this keeps happening. It, the thing is, like, it's not going to stop. No, this it's just, not. This does just keep happening. Right. That's life. Right. People die. Exactly. But it never stops being sad. Right. And it's just going to, stories like this are going to pop up more and more um, as, as we continue to get older. So I think we can move on to, you know, some lighter conversation topics. Sure. Let's get into our segment, Hot Thoughts, where we discuss some new music that has just come out. Uh, Jake, new song from the War on Drugs came out this week called Strangest Thing. They are three for three on singles from their upcoming album. Two out of three are like song of the year candidates. I'm blown away by what they're doing so far. I think that uh, this upcoming album, what's it called? The Better Understanding Yeah. Um, by the War on Drugs. If, if the rest of it is even... Three quarters as good as this is going to be an album I listen to a whole lot. This is definite album of the year contender. I think even from what we've heard, not only song wise but from critics too, they've yeah. been hyping this up already. It's saying it's it's going to be a monster. Because break it down. I mean, think about all the albums we've listened to. I think we're like nearing a hundred. Mm-hmm. I think we're like in the mid nineties yeah. at this point. Um, think about how many albums you can think of on that list, even the somewhat good ones that have even three songs this good. No. Uh, not many. There aren't that many. Not many. There are some. There's less than ten, probably. Yeah, like so. It just seems like it's t- unless the rest of the album really sucks somehow, right. which I can't imagine mm-hmm. would happen. Um, this song, the guitars on it, I want to talk about because there's three separate instances in this song where the guitars sort of come in and just up the ante on mm-hmm. the emotional level that's going on in the song. And the tones that this guy's getting, I forget. I can't. I forget his name. Uh, is it Kevin something? Not Kevin. No. This Adam. Prepared. Adam. Adam. Yeah. Adam. Adam. Big save right there. <laughs> yes. See, that's preparedness in, that's, in yeah, action. Just coming up big. Yeah, I'm probably fucking wrong. But um, <laughs> no, it sounds right. But the tones he's getting on his guitar are just beautiful. And and again, we've talked about this before. His style of guitar playing, sparse, not a ton of notes. Finding the notes that really count, playing them with just the right amount of sustain, just the right sort of feel. I mean, it just feels like a guy who is who is really honing his craft in terms of tone and figuring out what is a tasteful, yeah. effective emotional solo. And he nails it on yeah. this and on Thinking of a Place. So the solo that really, really hits me is that third one yep. that comes in. It, it sounds like nothing I've ever heard. You wouldn't think that guitar solos in 2017 would be like breaking new ground and making you feel shit. I know. But this one did. I it like cut me to the core. It's I was huge. I like felt it in my chest when I heard it. it. It's enormous. And it's that first note that cuts in. Yeah. And it's like the highest part of the solos. And yeah, I agree. It it every time I get to it, like and I'm listening to it at work or doing whatever. And I, I can't help but like move. I'm to like, it. Ooh, yeah. yeah. I, I like I catch myself moving yep. and like maybe even air guitar yep. openly yes. in the office, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is obviously um, a sign that I might be insane. <laughs> but either way, I, again, listeners of this podcast, if you haven't taken the time to listen to these War on Drugs songs, I re- I implore you to. Yeah, don't sleep on these songs because um, they're they're doing some really interesting stuff. And I understand if you. There's some criticism now, Sean, against the war on drugs that gets levied against them that they're a little dad rockish. They're a little sure, and and may, maybe the the boot fits there a little sure. bit. Sure. Look, here, here's the thing with this dad rock moniker. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear it. I'm all in on it. 
Okay, like the, the the sound and the genre in general. I think dad rock is a little lazy and pejorative in a way. It like diminishes the music itself because it's like, oh, this sounds like 70s rock that yeah. your dad would listen to. It's like, who cares? It's still really, really good music. Yeah, it doesn't matter that much. Yeah, just, so, I don't know. My mentality is like, oh, good. Yeah, right. Like, oh, that's right in my wheelhouse. I, I love 70s rock right. and 60s rock. Right. It stuff's awesome. So I'm very, very excited for this album. It comes out on my birthday, August 25th. Big I, show. I couldn't be more excited for this and less excited for my actual birthday. Yeah, the birthday uh, just hit me beginning of July, and I it's not fun. No. At this point in life, it's not fun anymore to have a birthday. No. Really. No. Because it's just stress. It's like, oh, I can't just have a normal weekend um, and I have to go do stuff. There's and, like expectations and... Well, my birthday always falls on 4th of July weekend. Yeah. So there's always a ton of shit to do. Right. I just have to go to all these parties and stuff. And as a result, I end up fielding happy birthdays yeah. from people who like don't know me that well and stuff. Right, which right. is fine. It's all very nice. No one means it in any way. Right. Yeah. Birthdays for the birds they're, at this they're point. They're the worst. They're the worst. So the other new single that I wanted to talk about quickly that came out. This and you're also, gonna be telling me about this. Yeah, one. I haven't yeah. heard it. This this came out today as well. New Wolf Parade single. Uh, it's called Valley Boy, and they have a new album coming out in October. So they got back together probably about a year and a half ago after being on an indefinite hiatus. Uh, and they announced they're coming out with a new album. Finally, we've seen the fruits of their labor here. You Jake. saw them at Boston Calling in the time between. I did. So I got to see them at Boston Calling. They actually ended up playing two new songs. Both of them were really good. Usually I don't like when bands play new songs. I think you share that with a lot of people. Because, you know, I, I don't know them. And yeah. usually live songs don't come across great, especially when they're still sort of learning how to play them live. So I was like, oh, great. All right, I got to sit through these two new songs. They ended up being really good because they're just a really tight band. And one of them actually ended up being this song, Valley Boy, which is a Spencer Krug song, um, who I think is my favorite of the two main songwriters in this band. So for just for clarity, for the uninitiated, it's Spencer and then it's what, Dan? Yeah. Is the other guy? Yeah. He's the guitar player, yes. Dan. Spencer yep. plays what, keyboards? Yes. And so so uh, Dan's songs are a little more straightforward rock. He, he draws on like Bruce Springsteen, sort of, that kind of thing. Um, he has some of my favorite songs on Apologies, if I remember correctly. Some are really, really <laughs> good yeah but spencer has um all believe in anything right yeah. he has dear sons and daughters of the holy ghosts what's that one that's like uh, and you're i'm your father my father's son or whatever it is that is also a spencer song what's I the think, one that i'm thinking of are you thinking of modern world maybe modern world i, maybe, um, I don't know I, I th yeah so the, regardless they're both great songwriters um but this new single is one that they played at boston calling and i remember watching it i was like Fuck, this is a really good song. And like, I, I, I can't wait for this to come out. I'm glad this was the lead single. Um, it actually was written by Spencer after Leonard Cohen died. There is a lyrical reference to that bird on the wire, okay. um, things like that. So, really good song. I recommend you check it out. I'm so excited for a new album by them in October. I'll definitely give it a listen. And for sure, I'll be listening to that record when it comes out. Yep. Um, what are your thoughts, Sean, on this new album uh, by Japanese Breakfast? I have been kind of liking it a fair amount. Yeah, this uh, this album... Soft Sounds from Another Planet is yes, the name of the record. This album was my favorite of the three new ones that we listened to this week. We're in lockstep there. I've been enjoying it a lot. The song Roadhead is really, really good. 
Titula- uh, too titillating. Ew, a little bit. Yeah. Little and bit. my wife won't let me <laughs> listen to Roadhead by Japanese Breakfast. <laughs> Big shout to any AWLs out there. Um, so, yeah, I would say a slight progression in sound here from what was happening on last year's debut from Japanese Breakfast. Seems like getting a little bit more attention. I've heard some buzz from critics. Yep. Overall, really, really solid album. Again, just this is me personally. I'm struggling with just new music that's coming out lately. I'm just not in a mindset to like really get all in on it, even though I can identify that I like it. I just haven't really wanted to listen. I've been wanting to go back and listen to other things I'm more familiar with. I'm just in that mode right now. So I really do like this. It's just I'm not all, all in on it yet. I'm in that mode right now, too. And my listens to this and other albums that came out have been in efforts to try to break myself out. Today's listen that I had to this record was my best yet. Um, and I feel like I am. it's starting to click with some of the songs later in the track listing a little more. Driving Woman is a highlight for me. That's not later in the track list. That's the opener. But um, that's up there for me. I think that she's doing cool stuff on this record for sure. And it feels like a slightly more expansive sound yeah. than the previous album. Feels like it maybe leans a little heavier on guitars. Although, to be honest with you, I listened to that Japanese Breakfast album last year a fair amount. But I... Like if I were gonna try to define the sound of it, it would be tough to do because it's it, it, in a mix of so many other records that I like. To be honest with you, I can't even tell you how another song goes on that debut, other than everybody wants to everybody love you. Everybody wants to love you, even though I really liked it. Yeah, it was I just did one too. of those ones that like it wasn't quite great enough for me to go out of my way to really listen a ton. I feel like this is maybe gonna fall in the same way, not by any fault of its own. It's just because. A lot of stuff's coming out. I'm not in a mode where like I'm really all in on new stuff right now. Yeah. It might just fall through the cracks. I will say that I felt, and again, this might be, and I'll own this if it is, next week if I listen more and, and this isn't the case. Um, it might be because I'm a little less attentive with new music over the past few weeks. But it feels like the later tracks, are take a, they kind of take a hair of a dip towards See, not as good. I disagree. I think the middle... Is weak. Okay, maybe I that's think the what I'm middle is then. weak, and it gets a little stronger towards the end. So you're thinking like that middle area, like boyish twelve steps, Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon, Fallon big. big. Uh, tw- no, twelve steps is actually really good. Okay, twelve steps is one of my favorite. Other than that, though, I like the ones before that. I'm always like, ah. See, I, I maybe I will like it more with more listens. I feel like I don't love this house yet. Yeah, that la- like it's it's actually really the last track because then you have here. I actually see that's when I actually do really like. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I, I like. Um, I think driving woman, roadhead, and machinist to start the album is a good one, two, three. I think I like planetary ambience. I'm still at the point where like I, I don't know how that goes. Yeah, I know the names of some <laughs> of the songs, but I, I yeah. don't. I'm not well versed on yeah. the whole thing yet. So it's that, a promising. It's a promising album. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it's an artist who I'm going to want to continue watching though. Is yes. the thing with with Japanese breakfast. Yeah, for sure. I like the whole aesthetic she's going for. So the other new album that we had was Waxahachie. Uh, so this is an artist, Jake. Um, it's one of the Crutchfield sisters. It's not Allison Crutch. It's Ka- it's Katie Crutchfield. Yeah. Yeah. She has released a few other albums or a couple other albums over the last few years. And what I've noticed with these, it's always the same thing. It gets great reviews. People are hyping it up to no end. And I'm always like, this is going to be the one. I'm going to get into this. It's going to be great. And I listen once and I'm always a little disappointed. I try and listen again. And then I'm just like sort of bored and I want to listen to other stuff. That's exactly what's happening to me here. 
I don't want to write this album off yet because of that reason that always happens to me with Waxahachie. And also because I know, like I said with Japanese Breakfast, I'm not in the best new music mindset right now. So this is one where I feel like if I revisit it maybe a few weeks or months down the road, I might end up liking it more. Because that's what's happened with her last albums too. I was ready to call, what was it, Ivy Trip? Ivy Trip. Like one of the most overrated albums of 2014 or 15, whenever it came out. And then I went back and listened. I was like, oh, wait, this is really good. And I didn't give it its due. So I'm thinking that's going to happen with this, too. Here's my thing with Waxahachie. And I think it actually holds true with Allison Crutchfield as well. More with Waxahachie, I find that I love her aesthetic. I love the sound of her music. I always think her album covers are cool. I always think the whole thing she's going for is cool. I never love her songs. I never think that the actual songs in this album is like is just another case in point in that where I listen to it a handful of times and I'm like I like the sound of this I like the whole vibe she's going for I'm not loving any of these songs like I I, I it just that's sort of always what happens to me with her so you're basically virtue signaling saying I like Waxahachie but you don't actually no I'm saying I don't <laughs> I'm just kidding I just wanted to say virtue signaling because okay. I think it's a really funny term that's become popular on the internet now i thought you were taking me to task <laughs> no, no no not at all because i'm the same way i'm the exact same you way you know what's funny is i guess what i'm actually really saying is i don't like waxahachie that much <laughs> there you go like okay. that that's yeah I, 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 that's the thing if you don't like the songs like you know the problem is, is it seems like something really inviting like something i'd really really like and every time i start to listen like when i first hear the guitars i first hear a voice I'm like all right here it goes this is gonna be the one it's exactly what you said where i feel like i'm i'm, I'm falling into line i'm gonna become a waxahachie fan and it's just, she's just an artist where repeatedly I listen to the album a few times, find a little bit I like here and there, and then I don't totally return to it. My way in in the past has been to find one or two songs that I really like, just listen to those, yep. and then when I'm ready, go back and listen to the rest. Yep. So that it might be what I have to do. All these albums that just came out, and we're going to talk Sheer Mag in a second, I just have been really patient with them, and I'm not... I'm not like trying to write them off or have an opinion or a take right away, just because I know it's not fair to them. It, they're catching me at the wrong time. Well, so. I'm with you, and I, I feel like I with Waxahachie, what I'm speaking to more is I'm noticing a trend with myself with her. Yeah, and about the records that that she's put out. Routinely, it's the same old song and dance. But with with all these albums, I'm willing to give them more of a chance and keep listening and just have and like with Japanese Breakfast, it's already breaking through. Yeah, I'm already feeling. I'm starting to like the track list as a whole better mm-hmm. than I did the first couple listens. Because what was happening was I'd listen to the first two, and as it went on, I was like, I can't wait to listen to like a Clash record, or I can't wait right. to listen to some of these other older legacy acts that I've been getting into lately. Like today was a great example. I was saying to myself, you should listen to Japanese Breakfast in Waxahachie more. And I was like, no, fuck it. I want to listen to Wolf Parade, because they came yep. out with a new single. I'm excited about them. That's what I'm feeling right now. And I think I just need to do a better job at listening for just pure enjoyment sometimes rather than listening to things that I feel like I should be listening to. Yeah, I think, I mean, that has been, I think, a through line to use sort of a TV narrative Mm -hmm. uh, phrase of this year in music for us, especially. Yeah. Yeah. 
if this this podcast is a couple things, it's like in some ways it's we talk about music. It's also kind of like a study on how two people listen to music in it's some like, ways. It's like therapy for list for figuring out how we talk about music, and we actually have an embrace debate a little bit later that goes yeah. more into detail it about does. this. So that'll be interesting. This the podcast. Basically, the subtitle is like two neurotic people <laughs> talk about their obsession with music and like guilt themselves <laughs> in myriad ways that probably go beyond music. We just like are whipping ourselves on the back. They just over and they over just again. have to do. With like Catholic guilt yeah. being baked into us <laughs> yes. at a young, young age. Yep, absolutely. So let's talk about one last hot thought mm-hmm. record, one last new album. Uh, Sheer Mag, new album, Need to Feel Your Love. Um, I was really excited for this, and I feel like same thing. I don't know if I totally love it after a first couple listens. I really like Sheer Mag. And I like it, like Shermag with their compilation that they put out in those three EPs. I liked that legitimately a lot. Like I think there's some really really good songs. I enjoyed listening to it. Um, and there's some good stuff on this new album. Does it feel like I don't know? Does it feel like they're they're bringing it with the same level of songs? Or this is actually the album this week that I have the most I think hot thoughts about. To okay. be honest with you, yeah, let's hear it. I was also sort of disappointed by this album, and I don't necessarily think it's because I just need to give it more of a fair shake. I think Sheer Mag is pretty front and center with what they are and what their sound is. I don't know if it takes a ton of listens to be like, okay, now I get it. Like, I already know what they're doing. So my my thoughts with this are I was very, I was excited for this album to come out. It almost feels like it took a little too long for it to come out, and some of that excitement and intrigue about them went away a little bit. Um, well, it's been like a year, right? It hasn't been. Yeah, that it's long. been it's it's been over a year since like they first came on the radar. We were like, oh, when's an album coming out? Yeah, true. You had the three EPs to start out with, then that got released as the the compilation, and I found myself listening to that compilation and being like, oh, when you put all these EPs together. A lot of this starts to sound the same yep. and isn't what I want to necessarily be listening to for 12 tracks, 45 minutes. I think they're a good EP band. They, I think they're much better in smaller doses because uh, I found myself, when I first listened to the EPs, loving them individually. Yeah. When you put them all together, I was like, oh, this song kind of sounds like that one and only these couple really stand out. That's kind of how I'm feeling with this album. Yeah. There's a few great songs. I really like Expect the Bayonet. That's yeah. a really cool song. Other than that, man, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't want to listen to this. I've been weirdly feeling the same thing where I, it, it was funny because when it came out, I was like, oh, yeah, that's going to be great. I can't wait to listen to that. And I've listened to it, I think, two times now, and I haven't been super excited to go back. No. It's the same thing. I read on Metacritic one that was like a middling review because this has gotten pretty good reviews. It has. And one sort of middle-of-the-road review said it sounds like the singer has one setting, which is overblown yelling. And I was like, that's harsh. Then I thought about it, and it's true. Mm. And, and and here's the thing. Here's the important distinction that is left out of that review, because that's meant to sound cutting and sort of catty. Mm. It sounds great. Her, her voice in that setting is amazing. Right. But I think what you're running into with the full-length compilation and um, this new full-length album is that over 12 tracks carried out over wax <laughs> um it's a lot yeah. it's a lot of like sh- she doesn't seem to be demonstrating a ton of you know variance in what she's bringing to the table as a vocalist and again i like what she does 
but the and the band does sort of a similar couple of grooves here and there. Yeah. They're a riff based band, yeah. it seems. Um, so yeah, I think what it is is it's like over twelve tracks. It's it feels like kind of a lot of that. And when you look at this style of music, this has seemed to be a revival of this earnest sort of throwback, Thin Lizzy, 70s rock. You know, White Reaper was an example earlier this year. I think there's some other bands you could point to that are doing things in the same vein. I don't want to say this... There's there's a glut of this now, but it it seems like you got to pick your battles with this music where it's like, okay, if I'm looking for that... I only want to listen to like these couple bands or this one album or these few songs. When you get too much of it, it's just like, okay, this all sort of sounds the same. I kind of ran into that with White Reaper after I started to listen more. Oh, really? I was like, I like this, but it's all starting to like sort of bleed together almost. So I don't know. I, I think I was a little more excited for this than I have ended up enjoying it. I feel a little guilty about this. That's another thing. Like that's that Catholic guilt we were just talking yep. about, where it's like yep. I I want to like this more, and I just haven't, and I, it bums me out a little. I will say just to to sort of give them a little bit back, fan the flames and mm. like songs like Nobody's Baby from the compilation yes. from the different EPs are some of my favorite rock songs that have come out in the last few yes. years, especially fan the flames yes. has some of my favorite riffs. And just like maybe one of the best grooves I've heard in a rock song in a long time. I agree. And that's what I mean about it's better in small doses. Like if I just listened to Expect the Bayonet individually and I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is awesome. And then you listen to some of the other tracks, you're like, okay, well, it's not as good as that. Well, and it's, it, it is, again, it's like hard rock. Yeah. It's like pounding, aggressive hard rock. And it's like... It's a- not subtle. No, it's not subtle. It's like ACDC or yeah. something. Or, yeah, yeah, or like yeah. you said, yeah, yeah. Thin Lizzy, one yep. of those bands where they're going to hit you over the head. Same with ACDC. I hear Girls Got Rhythm one yeah. time, and I'm like, that is the best band that's ever walked the earth. <laughs> right. That's the best band of all time, no question. And then I'm like, oh, wait, but like they, uh, you explore the catalog a little more, and there's not a ton really right. going on that's different right right so maybe that's what we're running into is share mag a little bit yeah i think it is i think it is so listeners let us know what you thought of this new week in music i think jake and i are really really high on the new war on drugs single i'm high on the new wolf parade and then it kind of goes down from there i'm i'm feeling pretty high on japanese breakfast okay. no i i'm enjoying it too yeah I'm and I, i'm too. like getting there slowly with yeah. i think share mag and waxahachie in different ways but again i, I feel like i need to push it more with those Agreed. which i have been getting lazy about doing so we're doing yeah. a new segment now. Well, it's not brand new, but no, we're, no, no. we're we've, jumping into another segment. We've done this the last couple weeks. It's called Embrace Debate. We have a topic that we throw out there. We set the timer. We have three minutes to talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I got one for you. Here, yeah, Sean. let me start the clock. Okay, so the question for this debate is, is Loaded by the Velvet Underground, their fourth record, is it actually more influential on bands today than the Velvet Underground and Nico? And I say that because I've listened to it recently, gotten into it, and I can hear elements of like the strokes going on. I can hear some car seat headrests, I feel like, influence in here. It's an overall more accessible album with less experimentation, more straight-up songwriting. Um, what do you think? I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to say no just because of all the different sounds that are happening on VU and Nico. And also, that one came first. Yeah. And I think probably ended up... I think more people have probably heard that than Loaded, maybe. Even me, like, I had only heard Loaded very, very recently. Yeah. For the first time. And I had listened to VU Nico when I was, like, 15. Yeah, well, so Nico is the one that is sort of, like, the... It, it's, a you know, sort of their front-runner album. I think there is... 
within the music community amongst people who make music and really like listen to music a lot and are creative. I think there's a fair amount of people who have gotten into Loaded. And I think what it was for me was the way I went was I listened to VU and Nico. Then I got into White Light, White Heat second, mm-hmm. which is the wrong way to go. That's really difficult. That album is actually considered their most inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Loaded is like a straight up just pop rock album. It's surprising how accessible it is. And I was surprised when I listened. And here's what I mean, I guess, when I'm talking about influence. When I listen to the VU and Nico, I hear some things that I'll hear in rock today. Like I think I'm, I'm waiting for the man is the best example. A lot of the sounds they're doing on some of those songs, maybe they influence, like, thinking about, like, heroin or something, some mm. of that noise stuff. Maybe that influenced, like, Sonic Youth. Maybe that yeah. influenced, like, Pavement. I don't know how much that sound influences bands that are contemporaries that, right now. That, that's fair enough, but I think you can then go and say, okay, these uh, those songs ended up influencing the Sonic Youths of the world and the Pavements of the world. Look how many influences spun off of that, though. So it's kind of like the transitive property of, like, if VU and Nico wasn't there, you wouldn't have gotten these bands, then you wouldn't have gotten these bands. I guess part of what I'm grappling with is, like, if you listen to Sweet Jane or Rock and Roll, on Rock and Roll, Lou Reed sounds like Julian Casablanca. Yeah, yeah, The way he's singing, the way he, like, oh, he has, like, those, like, vocal intonations. There's a part at the end of Sweet Jane, I have to find the car seat headrest song, but there's a part where they're going, like, ah, na, na. Like that, it sounds exactly like something they do. Yeah, I just feel like this is an album that maybe has slipped under our radar. I'd be interested to see what other artists think. It it has definitely slipped under our radar. I've listened a few times to this. Again, maybe it's because I'm having a hard time with newer music or just things I haven't heard before. I I, I think VU and Nico is better. I I like mm-hmm. it more. It was more interesting to me. I love Sweet Jane. I think that's the best song on Loaded. Other than that, I, I didn't think it was as... Nothing lived up to Sweet Jane. Oh, go back. Dude, re-listen to Rock and Roll. Re-listen to some of those songs in the middle. And, like, um, Who Loves the Sun? I love that song. Yeah. Um, oh, Sweet Nothing is great, too. Yeah, I'll have to go back and listen more. It's just it, it didn't totally resonate with me. That okay. was our buzzer on that topic. So let's dive into another one. This is one that we had mentioned earlier. Um, I'm going to start the clock here at three minutes. My question is, is the way that we listen to and consume music detrimental to our enjoyment of it? So we listen at work. We dutifully listen to new albums. We feel like we need to have a take on things. We just talked about how we feel guilty about not listening to albums or not enjoying them as much as we thought. Is the way we think about this and listen to it detrimental to our enjoyment? I'm going to go hard yes on that one. Um, And I think that, and this is not to compare us to music critics, but I think we try to listen to music in a way that's similar to, like if you listen to a podcast where like Ian Cohen and Stephen Hyden are talking, they talk a lot about getting through all the albums they have to listen to. I think sometimes we feel the same way. And yeah, of course it does. Because it's harder for me now to just pick an album and be like, this is amazing. This is my album for the year. Because I always feel like, obliged to contextualize it within the Mm -hmm. year now and and listen to the other stuff that's supposed to stack up and form some sort of opinion to talk about what's your stance i'm in lockstep with you it actually makes me anxious sometimes how much i think i am not enjoying things because of my obsession with listening to as much as possible and having an opinion and take on everything um i think it it impacted how much I liked Fleet Foxes when it came out, yep. which I have since gone back to and am actually really enjoying more now. I was going to say I, I have too. I, I had my two best listens the other day. I went for a walk by myself, listened two times in a row. How many times... Here's a question. Yeah. How many times 
do you finish an album and immediately restart and listen to it? It's not very often. I anymore. used to do that all the time. I almost never do anymore. Yeah, it's it's infrequent for me, and it, but it has happened a couple times this year. I can't think of instances, but yeah, I, I follow John Misty. I'm sure yeah. we did. But. And I agree with Fleet Foxes actually, which is a good point to bring up for this one specifically, where I listened the other day, and just like you, I had my best listen yet. Yeah. And I was going to actually text you about it, but then I was like, oh, I don't want to put pressure. Yeah, and I'm glad you didn't. And I was thinking the same thing, too. I was like, if Jake isn't feeling the same thing, I don't want to make him feel like he's missing out and, like, you know. Here's what I want to know more than I – because I think I know where we stand on this. I want to know where listeners stand because I feel like some of our listeners try – they follow music in a similar way to us where they listen to a a ton of music. Do you feel the same thing? Are Are we crazy? That's the real impression. That, well, that, that's that's what I think this comes down to a little bit is I do feel kind of crazy sometimes. And I'm basically taking this thing that I love and that one of the few things I get pure, true enjoyment out of, and I'm sucking the enjoyment out of it. And that really scares me sometimes. Yeah, I'm with you because when I on Fridays I dread new albums yeah. coming out sometimes. Yeah, I'm me like, too. I'm like, oh, that that one's like a borderline album that like I don't really want to listen to, but I should listen to. That's the worst way to go into listening to an album. You're guaranteed to not like it. I mean, when it comes to consuming art at all, the word should really sh- should not enter it into the discussion. It's, it shouldn't really be part of it. Our timer went off. You couldn't hear it. No buzzer. We might need to play no it just buzzer. because uh, the clock app's closed. Too clock late. App. So, yeah, I don't know, man. I think just as a final thought, I need to get better at this and maybe just give myself more time with things before I have an opinion. So, like, Fleet Fox is... I, I think removed from the expectations and the the hype of the album coming out, I was able to enjoy it a lot more. So yep. may I just need to do that um, and kind of give myself time. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that is, is probably what we need to do. So we had another quick segment we wanted to do. This is one I think we've done maybe in passing before. We've, I don't think we've ever done it formally. formally? Okay. Yeah. This is a segment called Things Music Critics Love. So in this one, we basically just want to poke fun at the stupid shit music critics will say or do sometimes. So um, this just popped up on my Twitter feed. I forget who even posted it or, or what it was. Things Music Critics Love, though, saying albums or songs are a, quote, love letter to... Something. Insert city here. Usually Insert. usually it's New York City. That, ooh, this album from blah, blah, blah is a love letter to New York City. Yep. What the fuck does that even mean? Big time music writer trope. They and love it. And this is going to be a running theme throughout things music critics love because, it, like, I know what they mean, but if you break it down, it's like lunacy. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It's read crazy. that way. It's crazy. When you really read what they're writing, it's it's insane that they are they get away with that. So you had kind of a similar one. So here's here's one for me. Um, describing artists, and this isn't really a big deal. This one makes sense, but it's it's really true, based on where they're from. So if, it'll be like you use the state or the city they're from as almost like an adjective. So mm-hmm. you'll say like New York rapper Jay Z, Connecticut emo quintet. Sorority Noise, Los Angeles Indie Rockers, insert band here. Yep. And it basically uses like where they're from as this like describer. As a you know what it is? And I noticed when we dabbled in music writing, it's a different way to say yep. the band without saying the band's name or, or just saying a broad they. Well, and what it also does is from an economy of words standpoint, yep. it packs a lot of information into not much. Yep. So it's like instead of you don't have to dedicate a sentence to saying... They come from Connecticut. They come from Brooklyn. Right. It's actually it's a smart way to write, it but is. when you take it 
outside of that context, it's it almost makes no sense. It's like, and I, again, I know what they mean. I get it. Right. It's uh, but I'm trying to think of a, a similar. Like in sports writing, I don't think you would see. Ah, maybe you know what you, you mean, know what they say about players is like the Kentucky product. I would, that's exactly what <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. I was going to say like if you're talking about a prospect for the mm-hmm. NFL, they'd be like this Alabama prospect. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just like it's like a shorthand. Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. But it's it's weird when you really think about when it. when you bring too it much. right down. Yeah. yeah. The other one that I had, and I actually love this. I like saying it is describing an artist or a band. As being at the height of their powers, there, like when, when like when a band has peaked or put out their best work or whatever, they say at the, they're at the height of their powers. This one is a lot of fun to throw. It's around. funny. It's funny to say. It's funny and it's also fun to think about. Yeah. Like we could probably do a segment on when was X band at the height of their powers. Give a yes. one to three album peak. Yes. So like if you were gonna say like when was Bruce Springsteen at the height of his powers, it's it, it, be. it would be the Born to Run to the River, basically. Right. Yeah. That, that, uh, you could say his peak was through Born in the USA, actually. Right. And it's like how long is that peak? Yeah. This one I actually like. Here's one for you. This is one that's always gotten some amusement from me. When when writers use adjectives and descriptions that when you really break it down don't actually apply at all to the way music sounds. Here's some examples that I just I skimmed back through. This is just the the top. This is just what was available on Pitchfork yep. immediately as I looked through. <laughs> the first one's the best one. They described Lord's new album as humid. <laughs> humid. They described it as like a humid and X album. Mm-hmm. And and you know, what does that really mean? I think I know I get it. Right. I think people have described like Exile on Main Street as humid because you're in a yeah. sticky whatever basement or whatever. Yep. But again, what is humid music? That's not how you would describe music. It's not the, there's no such thing. In the for this rapper Mike for the review, they said ancient coolness. <laughs> I like that one. I it's again sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. But if you were to de- try to define ancient coolness in a sentence, I, it's very, very difficult. In a phrase. The SZA review, they described her music as opulent. Love it. Alex G, they described his songs as oddly shaped songs. Oh, is it like a trapezoid? Yeah, what is it? A, romb- a hexagon? We got a rhombus here with <laughs> uh, with poison root. Uh, Big Thief, intricately built. I get that. Yes, absolutely. I, I think of like a, like a model ship mm, being mm-hmm. intricately built. Diorama. Uh, yes, exactly. Kendrick, they. I like this one a lot because I don't know what the fuck it actually means. Except I kind of do. They described Damn as a widescreen masterpiece that of rap. makes no sense, but makes a ton of sense. If you've heard the album, you're shaking your head to that. Like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I get what it means. I think sometimes music writers, they they think of these descriptions that are artful. And again, I think it comes down to boredom with just... Mm-hmm. If, you don't, if you don't use language in an interesting way, mm-hmm. then what's the point of writing it? Absolutely. But that's what it comes down to. I have one more uh, things thing that music critics love. It's describing a good or great debut album by a band as self-assured, poised, or confident. So they're basically just saying this is good for a new band. Yeah. That's, yeah, interesting. And it's you've definitely seen that, right? Oh, Which 1,000%. Like one yeah. of the year's most self-assured debuts. Yep. yep. Or, or I, you know, where I got this one from was... Um, for priests, yeah, they described priests' album as a poised debut, and what that means is it's like, oh, this is just a band that like has their shit together, <laughs> right? It's just it's sort of a funny way to put it, uh, like they aren't really fucking up. 
Self-assured to me also it's like it, there's this there's a swagger to it. There's a confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh, yeah. they're they're coming out of the gate swinging. Yes. They don't care. I feel like the the Doors first album or, or like Nevermind the Bullocks are like epi- the epitomes of yes. of self-assured debuts. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then look at what happened to those bands. That's not a whole lot. <laughs> that's that's right. In either case. Uh, so listeners, let us know. Tweet at us anytime you see something that music critics love to do. Like if you see music critics talking in music critic speak, we want to hear about it. We do. Tag us in that we're, shit. We're, you can think of us as the music critics tropes police. Yes. That's Even us. though I'm sure we're guilty of it. Because oh, when, absolutely. When we do we, that all the time. When we were writing album reviews. Yeah. You you immediately see why they rely on these. Because, and also, that's just how you learn to write because that's all you're seeing. So you're like, oh, yeah. this is how you write about music. Yeah, it's it's weird because when you really read music reviews, there is a learning curve to understanding like yeah. how they're written. Because what writ- the fuck they mean? They're written in like a, in weird language. Yeah, they are. Absolutely, they are. Listeners, let us know if you know what the fuck we're talking about. Because <laughs> I feel like this is relatable if you've read like uh, yeah. a Rolling Stone review or a Pitchfork review, especially Pitchfork. Yes, definitely. They love throwing around flowery language to describe music. Let's bring back another segment, fan favorite, Two Truths and a Lie. America's favorite segment. So This is you this week. It's me. Um, and as an earlier segment might have alluded, I've been getting into the Velvet Underground more uh, based on my listen to Loaded. I listened actually to their entire discography this week, well, with one exception. I don't want to give too much away, so here we go. Here's, okay. the, here's the three facts. Okay. I'm going to move my computer a little bit. Sorry, listeners. Okay. The band's 1973 album, Squeeze, features none of the band's original members. In fact, multi-instrumentalist Doug Yule, who replaced John Cale in 1968, is the only member of the VU to appear on the album. Number two, Velvet Underground and Nico has an iconic cover. Both the album's front and back covers have been uh, subjects of legal issues. When the album was released, actor Eric Emerson threatened to sue over... His unauthorized the unauthorized use of his image on the back cover unless he was paid and in 2012 the Velvet Underground sued the Andy Warhol Foundation for using the front cover on iPhone cases. Mm. Number three, at the insistence of producer Andy Warhol, who produced the Velvet Underground and Nico, and much to the chagrin of John Cale and Lou Reed, Nico was originally slated to become an official member of the band. After the release of Velvet Underground and Nico, she was forced to leave the band after getting pregnant in late 1967. Mm. This is a tough one. An overwrought one, too. There's a lot of words here. They're long. So I'll sift I'll, through. I'll, I'll distill them. Okay. 1973 album Squeeze features only one member. None of the original members of VU. Doug Yule is the only guy on it. Still a long summary. Well, but there you go. That's a summary. Okay. You know what I'm getting at. Number two. Two legal trouble for the Velvet Underground's, both the front cover and back cover. They were sued in the 60s for the use of an actor's face on the back. They sued Andy Warhol because he licensed, um, or rather his foundation, licensed the use of the banana cover for iPhone cases. And three, Andy Warhol, who was the producer, was insisting that Nico stay in the band after the release of the album. um, And she couldn't because she got pregnant. (sighs) I think I'm going to go with one and two being true and three being false. It's just gut. I really don't have any reasons for it. I'm just going gut. Final answer? Final answer. You got it. Yes! You got it. Yes! 
So was there any logic there? I, I just figured since you were talking about listening to their entire discography, but you didn't listen to Squeeze, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. I figured that was one. I remember seeing something about the – or hearing something about that front cover at the very least. So I figured, yeah. And I, I was never sure about Nico's involvement. I figured that was probably something, but was like maybe not that specifically. So Yeah, it's sort of a combination of a couple things. It, it's like, one, Andy Warhol kind of insisted that she'd be on that album. He was all in mm-hmm. on her, and he was the producer. Yeah. And I think their manager at the time. Um, he never tried to get her to be an, a member of the band. The thing about someone being pregnant and leaving is actually... That one of the members, Maureen something, I forget her name. Maureen Ponderosa, yeah. <laughs> right. Of Always Sunny fame. Uh, she left the band after she got pregnant. Okay. The thing about Squeeze I thought was interesting, though. The fact that this album came out, Lou Reed was no longer in the band. Right. None of the original members were. This dude, Doug Ewell, who joined for their self-titled and for Loaded, was just left to make this just album. picking up the mantle. And if you look on Wikipedia, it literally says personnel, Doug Ewell, and then it says additional musicians and there's like three wow. but they're not part of the band wow so wild make that money dude it got it got destroyed oh i'm sure I'm, I'm sure it got yeah. real bad reviews let's wrap up with a recommendation of the week yeah you go first i just did a lot of talking sure yeah uh so we we talked about wolf parade earlier Th- this is my recommendation of the week is just wolf parade in general if you haven't listened to this band please do you really can't go wrong with any of their albums. Honestly, these guys, I've never heard them write a bad song. Hmm. All of it, like, it's all good in some way. No songs are bad. No songs are skippable. Um, I would start with Apologies to the Queen Mary if you haven't listened to them yet. That's their best, well, that is their best known album. Has the most popular song on it in I'll Believe in Anything, which I think is one of the best rock songs of the century so far. So check out Wolf Parade. I still have to give more attention to like at Mount Zoomer and those records. Out, Zoomer's is amazing. Yeah. I mean, Expo 86 is still really good too. Got to get into those. So for me, I have two. One is I've been getting back into If You're Feeling Sinister by Bell and Sebastian lately. I think because I got into it during the summer two yeah. years ago and I've been just very much feeling it. Um, Fox in the Snow, like Dylan in the movies, um, Stars of Track and Field. Uh, lots of really, really good songs on this. If you ever liked that song, Piazza New York Catcher, which got kind of popular, I think because of Juno, yes. the movie Juno, um, you'd like this album a lot. It's considered their best, I think. I listened to Tiger Milk the other day on the back of enjoying this record a lot. Um, my other recommendation is, this one is just something that I think has fallen under the radar, but I've kind of consistently here and there remembered and picked back up it's that Thunder Dreamer album originally my recommendation was just the songs You Know Me and The Bridge I really think it would be worth people's time to listen to this whole album it's called Capture by the band Thunder Dreamer Um, really good melodies really good sort of like spooky eerie vibe on the album and the lead singer reminds me of like Brendan Flowers if he from Killers if Mm. you were a little more emo a little bit more you know uh, less pop rather Yeah. Um, yeah yeah This is an album I'm really enjoying, but especially if you want to check them out, the songs You Know Me and The Bridge are really, really good. Yeah, those are good. I can attest to that as well. You'll vouch. So a little programming note. We will be back actually next Tuesday with another episode. We are going to Newport Folk Fest next weekend, and we will be doing a preview of that. We'll have some fun stuff in there. Uh, So keep your eyes peeled for that, and we'll see you then. Thanks, everybody.
Uh, we're on, and we're trying this new mic setup. I'm excited about this. Um, Godspeed to us for what's sure to fail. I I hope, beyond hope, that this sounds good. Yeah. And that people didn't experience static crackling yeah, the entire episode. The whole time. We'll see. Oh, right. good call there saying didn't, because we're actually after the episode right, right now. Yeah. Right, right. I think another key is, like, I feel like... If we don't touch the mics, if we if we yeah. refrain from touching the table as much as possible, because yeah. I know some episodes have like rattling, and it's I think we yes. both like touch the table, touch the mics. Yes. Sometimes I can't help touching the laptops. We're gonna right. do that. Yeah. True. True. Um, uh, yeah. So hopefully it sounds good. Um, I gotta get used to like being up on the mic like that. I know. I mean, I probably don't have to lean uncomfortably toward it. No, no, no. I think I think just normally sitting and talking is probably fine. Okay. Let me see if it's tracking correctly. Because last time we tried this, listeners, I don't know if anyone remembers our last excursions with two mics. Um, it was just a, a totally star-crossed experience. Never, we were doomed to fail from the start. We we tried a few episodes with two mics. First, my computer like wouldn't recognize the two mics together or something like that. And then it was always staticky. Mm-hmm. We think we figured it out this time. I, th- I think so. We tested it for a while. It sounded fine. We did our due diligence. We did the best we could. So I think I think we'll be okay. We're trying our best here. Hey, this is free. I, yeah, I have some uh, quick Thrones thoughts for you, yep. Jake. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we can talk. Yeah, because first the premiere was. So if anyone hasn't seen the premiere, spoilers. Um, what did you think of the episode? Um, I thought there were some pretty good moments. I liked the cold open a fair amount. Yep. Yep. Uh, with Arya, um, I. I'm trying to remember what else happened. I am like everyone where I thought the Ed Sheeran thing was forced. Oh my obviously. god, that was so bad. That was cringy. Yeah. Very forced. What killed me, it was okay when he was just singing. And then Arya's like, oh, what's that? I've never heard that song. And then basically the camera pans to him. He looks at it. He's like, it's a new one. And basically winks at the camera. And it, and it should have like said, it's Ed Sheeran! Yeah. Exclamation point. At that's, the Xfinity Center. That's basically what it did, and I was like, that was terrible. Please don't s- do that. Singing like a medieval version of The Shape of You. Yeah. Like a mid- like I actually don't know how that song goes. Someone's playing it on a fife. <laughs> I'm in love with the shape of you. Have you ever heard it? Uh, I don't know. It's alright. Um, but yeah, he sort of forced. I liked. Uh, what they were doing with Sansa in this episode, yes. although she got a little bit, you know, little, bo- body, a little uppity. She did. Yeah, right, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm just no. kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, because John needs someone to be like, dude, you're being dumb. Yeah, well, and I was gonna say that she did that, and then he still didn't really listen. No, um, I, I kind of agree with him though. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think he needs to close ranks with and like get those people back into the fold and not fuck them over. I'm not saying more whether I agree or disagree. In Thrones, usually the people who show any form of kindness are, are not rewarded. That's are true. not rewarded. So, I actually thought. So here, here's here's the thing. I'm speaking about this as an episode of TV, okay. as the, like a TV as an art form. Take away all of the Thrones mythology and storyline and things like that. I'm looking at this as a TV show mm-hmm. and how Benioff and Weiss have handled creating just a TV show. Right. Not necessarily Game of Thrones. So I'm looking at it separately. So all you Game of Thrones heads out there, what I'm about to say isn't a referendum on the story itself or you know why things are the way they are. I get it because it's Game of Thrones. I'm yeah. talking about TV. I thought this was a disappointing episode of TV because I don't think 
Benioff and Weiss do a good job of structuring episodes. They seem to be incapable of doing more than just five-minute check-ins on all the characters, washing and repeating. And that's really frustrating. I get why they're doing it, because there's so much you need to show and tell, but it ends up being exhausting, and I think you lose any sort of... Cohesion. Cohesion or flow that you could end up developing. Like, they don't step outside the box in terms of, like cool TV too much. I feel like now I've actually just gotten used to it and when I'm watching Thrones I just expect that to be the formula. I just expect an episode where it's like okay now we're getting our 5 to 10 minutes with this character. Now we're getting our 5 minutes with this character. I I think the other issue with this too because there's so much to do and get through all of the dialogue ends up being a lot of exposition and a little unnatural at times where you don't have moments that just breathe. Other than, I think, the Arya moment where she sat down with everybody and they were kind of just joking around. Because they didn't need to do any, like, crazy exposition there. It was just like, this is a nice, normal moment for Arya. That was maybe one of the best TV moments on it. I think all the other scenes end up being, like, here's what I have to tell you as a character to get across the audience. It's a lot of telling rather than showing. And I think that makes for not the best TV experience. I feel like they're like hamstrung, though. I don't know what That's else. That's what I'm saying. It's, I, I, you're, I, they're in a rock between a rock and a hard place. And it's almost like I don't even know if you can just pin it on these creators. I don't even know. No, like, it's not. You could have Vince Gilligan and yeah. Matthew Weiner and um, David Simon all doing this, and it would be the same thing. He's like, I yeah, I don't really know what anyone could do differently. Because no. it's like you just have so fucking much going on. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, maybe it's like... I still think that there were engaging parts, and I, I will say, like, on a positive note, and again, this is not what you were really talking about. It's actually the opposite of what you're talking about. What I enjoy and have... Like been happy to be back to is like just seeing the universe of Thrones yeah. again and getting a little invested in some of the storylines. Like whenever Thrones comes back, I get excited by like all the different theories and all the different houses. I kind of relearn it a little bit mm. because it's been a while. Um, and uh, so yeah, I mean I've missed that in a sense. But but yeah, I mean there's there are things that are disappointing about it. It's a premiere, so I feel like true. There's there, it's they can't do much more than just say like, hey, this is where this character's at. Yeah. And in case you forgot, this is where we're kind of heading with this. Yeah. Um, the ending with Daenerys and Tyrion that seemed was, promising for something. Maybe. I, in terms of plot, yes. I think my other issue was actually with that scene. Um, take away again all of the mythology and how important it is for Daenerys, a Targaryen, to go back to Dragonstone. I fucking get it. What I'm saying. I didn't like that scene. I didn't think the impact was there at all. I didn't feel anything for it. I thought it was a kind of a boring scene because, A, I don't they think... They haven't established that that well. They That feels totally unearned. They have mentioned Dragonstone being important to Danny maybe few, twice yeah. the entire show. Yeah, and it's an, it's only you only feel like you really earned it if you've read the book exactly. and you're watching the exactly. show because, as a case in point, a uh, big friend of the pod, Josh, was over watching that episode and after it, I was like, so that is, like, really important to her, right? Like, that's, I was like, that Dragonstone is, like, sort of where her roots are at. And he was like, yeah, like, that's where her family was from before they took over the Iron Throne. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, like, I know that, but it... The show didn't do a good job she, of establishing that. It's like she always talks about no. it. 
No. And again, it's almost like this thing where it's, it, I can only imagine it's so f- challenging to right. actually make right. it emphatic. Right. And, and you it, almost need those little after episode things where Benioff and Weiss yeah, talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you and do. And now that I can't binge it anymore, mm-hmm. I miss those sh- things because they don't just come mm, on right, right after the episode anymore. That's right. I, I watched Thrones used to that in, after every episode. I actually looked forward to it because I was like, okay. I know what happened, but I need them to give me like 10% context. I think if you watch on HBO Go after the actual premiere, I think they might include it after. Is that how you do it? Uh, sometimes, it depends. Um, we just watched it on TV. But I don't think Amelia Clark is the best actor either, and I don't think she was able to carry that scene in a profound way that made you feel like it was important either. What did you think of Dinklage's performance? He's great. He's awesome. He might be like one of the best pure actors I, Yeah, I on think the show. he is. Uh, so... I lo- look, I love Game of Thrones. I'm always happy to watch it, and it's very entertaining. Um, it obviously has a huge cultural appeal, monoculture, if you will. Everyone seems to be in on it. And for that, I think it's awesome. Um, when it comes to a discussion about is it one of the best TV shows ever, no. Is it one of the best stories ever? Pro- probably, like because yeah. it's so expansive. I think it definitely is. Um, I think it's out of the the top tier of best TV because it, of all these issues. In some ways, I actually think it's more fun to talk Game of Thrones with other people who like it than it is to actually watch the show sometimes. Mm, yeah, yeah, If you're yeah. talking like a mid-season episode, yeah. it's more fun to have a conversation with like, you know, four or five people who are yeah. all into it and who know different bits. Like maybe one person is a book reader, a few others are just dedicated watchers of the show, mm-hmm. viewers of the show. Because, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think what's going to be interesting is they're going to be tested because with six episodes or whatever they're doing, seven yeah. per half yeah, yeah, season, yeah, yeah. Um, they're going to need to pack a lot in. Yeah, and you're going to get those episodes where big shit happens yeah. and surprising things happen and lots of action sequences happen. And you're going to get the people who are like, best episode ever, just because there's action in it. <laughs> you know, like, so I, I don't know. Just sometimes Thrones frustrates me uh, as a TV show. Story's great. I love being in the world, like you mentioned, too. Um, but yeah, we'll see how the rest of the season shakes out. Maybe we can continue doing Thrones Thoughts. Yeah, post-show. And listeners can uh, tune in as they desire. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't have any other thoughts about Thrones, I don't think. Except, I'm trying to remember like what else happened. It's not worth dissecting no. the plot in this setting. No. No one needs no. me to like... There's so many other Thrones podcasts out there that can do that in like, a much better like way. Like binge mode. Yeah. I've listened yeah. to an episode and a half of that. It's actually interesting what they do. Yeah. It's on The Ringer. I haven't listened actually at all, but... It's on The Ringer, listeners. Uh, Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion talking uh, about each episode of Game of Thrones. And they do a good job. They're yeah. like really... They go in depth, Really right? knowledgeable yeah. about the world. Yeah. Like create... Like it's insane how much they like know Like me about with it. Star Wars. Yeah. 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 And like I think you would be with Thrones if it came out earlier and you were younger yeah. when Thrones came true. out. True. Yep. I think you'd be that way with Thrones. Yep. It's probably true. Because there's a... F- I don't know if we've told this story on the podcast, but when we were 15, I thought it would be fun because I was like traveling with my family and I was texting and I was like, I think I challenged you or you challenged me. In fact, and maybe you challenged me because you must have known I, I, well, where you Well, I think stood. you were talking about how you knew a lot about Star Wars. I was like, no, you don't. Well, we were. I think what we were doing is just talking Star Wars. Yeah. And I think you 
probably felt the impulse to, to take me to school. <laughs> yeah, probably. Just because I was, like, having a conversation. So see how we both have a sympathetic view of ourselves in the situation? <laughs> right. In mine, I'm, like, this boorish, arrogant guy who can't back it up in... in no, rather in your version, that's what it yeah. is. In my version, I was just this innocent, like, trying to have a conversation, <laughs> right. and Sean decided to prey on me. Either way, <laughs> we had a Star Wars text trivia competition, with, uh, and Sean wiped the floor. I don't think I got a single point, because Sean got all mine right, and I got all of his wrong. Mm-hmm. Because his were, like, these. they were drawing on, like, fucking the... the uh, books. The, the expanded universe, expanded which is no u- longer canon, Jake. Right, so but I've done my due diligence. I've gone back and I've read Wikipedia on the new canon. Have so, you really? Yeah, I have. Why? Because I'm just really because, interested. Just because you want to know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know it as well, but as like I, I read it and I know it. Are you looking forward to 8? Oh, yeah. Uh, Very excited. Very excited. All right. All right, ready to dive in? I am. Okay, let's do it. Do you have your, your history thing ready to go? Yeah. Okay. I just got to search that again real quick. I'll filibuster while you... There's not There's not a whole lot of... History? History. Mine's going to be real quick. It's hot. It is. It's hot. Yeah, sorry about that. It, it's Dude, like, this is a tough space to effectively air condition. And all we have is one small AC yeah. unit. Um, I thought of that as I was heading over here today. It's like, oh, yeah, shit. It's going to be hot. That'll suck. Uh, okay, I have it open. We're ready to dive in. All right. Mute that tab. <laughs> porn tabs. <laughs> <laughs> Ten porn tabs open on your computer. Uh, all right, ready? Yep. Three, two, one. 